hosting the service. It's good to hear Troy's testimony. It's a reminder, isn't it, of how God works in us individually, and yet there are so many areas of parallel or similarity uh, in each of our testimonies. I do pray for him, for Ali and their two children in, um, in, in the church's new members, that God may uh, uh, integrate them fully, get them involved as they are doing, and bless them in our midst. It's good to have them and others here too. Okay, just, just, just a note on Morag. I mean, I didn't want to mention anything on Texas. That's not a nice thing to do. But Morag lost her, her companion, human, not human, her animal companion this week, her dog. And, you know, if you've, if, you've ever, if you've ever pet at all, if you've had one, you know how close we, we get to those creatures. And so I'm sure we want to remember Morag. Uh, that's not a nice thing with her father being as ill as he is and to lose someone so, something so dear to us. As an animal, I often say to people who don't appreciate the value of pets that, that when God made the animal kingdom, its primary pur- purpose was as a companion to Adam. You know, it's, it's natural that we humans, Eve came not so much as a companion, although she was there, she came as his helper to subdue the planet and to populate the planet and to turn the planet into Eden. Again, we forget, don't we? Eden was one section of that planet. Uh, I think the assumption is that Adam's role was to govern and master the planet so that it became an Eden throughout. Uh, and I'm convinced not just a planet, his role would have been to bring Eden to the universe had he lived long enough and, and he would have lived forever. But in that scenario, the animal world was designed to be companion to the human race. So when I see people get really close to animals, uh, and we've, we've been the same with the ones we've had, it's, uh, I can see that. I can see why that is. And so, hey, we want to remember you in your loss and others too. Let me just say another prayer and we'll begin. <coughs> Father, we humble ourselves before your word. That is, we want it to judge us and not us judge it. We want it to shape us and our us choose what we want to be shaped by. So give us an open heart to hear what your word says as it's open to us. Give us discerning ears that we may be certain we're hearing your words and not the words of a man. And Lord, we pray that your spirit's power would apply that word to us now at the level of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're just joining us for the first time. We're in the middle of a series in Galatians. It's our habit to work through books of the Bible just because we don't want to be preaching our favorite hobby horses to you every week. You know, whatever that hobby horse may be. It's because we want you and the speaker to receive the whole counsel of God, not just selective ditties on whatever's tickling my fancy this week. You know, you, know, you wouldn't want that because it was Burger King. That was, that's what was tickling my fancy this week. Uh, but we want you to hear what the whole counsel of God is about. It's why we read Proverbs, because it's in the Bible. It's why we read it. And it's why we read Galatians, because it's where we're preaching this morning. So you're in the middle of chapter 5. Some of it may seem shocking, particularly if you haven't heard the previous lot. Can I encourage you? to? You can listen to all our YouTube messages or audio messages online to give you a catch-up. So we're going to go straight into this with this. Look, something about humanity that we all love fighting for something. Something's, you know, for, for some people, it's land. I mean, I suppose we don't really feel that here. But if you lived in the Middle East, you would be fighting for your turf, you know, in arms. Uh, for some people, it's human rights. You know, it's a fundamental belief that every human has a right to basic amenities or, or whatever it may be. And for others, it's, 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 it's a planet. And I think it's a good thing. We are going to get a new planet, restored and rejuvenated. But at the same time, I'm pretty sure God expects us to take care of the one he's given us now. Otherwise, he may not entrust us with a new one. <laughs> so, you know, but whatever it may be, we have 
things that we feel we need to fight for, things that we're passionate about. I want to show you Paul's passion. Well, let me, let me ask. Paul is one of those. He's a fighter. What do you think Paul's greatest passion is? Something he'd lay down his life for. It is Jesus as a character, as a thing. It is. It's about life. The correct understanding of his word, or the general one words that sums up all of it, the g word. The gospel. He's, the character is Jesus, and the thing is the gospel. It's the one thing he is prepared for and actually does lay down his life for. For Jesus as the person, for the gospel as the entity. So he fights for the gospel, and in Galatians, that's what he's doing with pen and paper. Okay, or, or papyrus and, 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 and a form of writing instrument. Paul is fighting for the gospel. We've been looking at it up to now. Today we're coming to the end of that fight, and there's going to be a, a gear change, a change of tone. We'll come to that shortly. Here's our first heading. Uh, our main heading is freedom fighters. Okay, here's our subheading. Freedom is a gift that's to be held onto passionately. Freedom is a gift that's to be held onto passionately. So the Galatians, if you remember, were living in Christ's victory. That's where Paul left them. They were freed from the slavery of Moses. And if you remember, we said that Moses enslaves people. He doesn't set them free. He doesn't facilitate a relationship. Moses enslaves people. The Galatians were freed from him. But now something's going wrong. And so Paul writes in chapter 5, Stand firm then. He'd left them in a particular posture, in a particular scenario. It was the freedom of faith in Jesus. That's on the threat. And so he has to write them, stand firm. And the reason for that is because what had happened in Galatia. Can someone just give me a recap? What had happened in Galatia? Galatia was an area, there were several churches in that area that Paul had planted. What was going wrong that he has to write, stand firm? Drifting back to the law of Moses. Okay? They, they were freed from any law. They were free from paganism, but they were drifting towards the law. Why were they drifting as Christians free on the Jesus? Why were they drifting towards law? What was going on? Peter, they saw Peter, their leader, stepping back into Judaism. He was eating non-kosher meat, pigs and all, most probably, okay? But all of a sudden, he stops doing that, and he's withdrawing from them, and they're assuming, oh no, We've got to be good Jews like Peter to be a Christian. And they revert into law to Moses. And so Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 1, Hey, hey, hey! It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. You see, in Jesus' death, this is the wonder of the gospel, in Jesus' death, we are liberated well, the Jews were liberated, at least, from thousands of years of slavery to Moses. And it was all done away. All that slavery, all that covenant was done away by one single stroke. What was that stroke? That entire law covenant, the old covenant, was abolished. Strong language, I'm going to show you now in the text. Was done away with one single stroke. What was it? Yeah, the resurrection was attached to one piece of work, the whole thing. The death. And with the, it includes the resurrection. The Ephesians, listen to this first. Yes, look. How did he abolish the entire covenant? By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments. Jesus, in his flesh, lived out the entire law covenant, fulfilling it. And through his death in the flesh, abolished. It's a strong word, isn't it? He abolished the entire old covenant. Jesus' cross. Yes, he brought us forgiveness of sins. Yes, it gives us new hope. But he does that by obliterating the previous covenant of law, by liberating people from it. 
and by bringing them into a relationship with God without law, without Moses, without the Ten Commandments, without any of the 613 commandments. It brings us into relationship, not by law, but through for the He gave his life for us for faith. Faith and law are in opposition. Okay? They do not belong together. He brought us salvation through faith, not through law. And so he tells these Galatians, look, you've been freed. You've got faith. You don't want Moses. You don't need Moses. In fact, Moses is dangerous. I left you as free men. Stand firm in that. So the Galatians have to hold firm to their freedom. Verse 2, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you, here's the danger. If you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. That's a really serious look. If I said to Catherine, Christ is of no value to you at all because of how you're living, that would be a terrible indictment. It means she's outside the faith. It means she's going to be condemned to an eternity in hell. That's what that statement means. If Christ is on the... So is it because of circumcision? I want to say that rhetorically because it's not. Paul doesn't care... Two hoots about circumcision. Do you know how I know that? How do I know that? He doesn't care two hoots about circumcision, although he's talking about it here. I know he doesn't. How do I know that? How do I know he cared no, to no degree about circumcision? Because he circumcised one of his disciples. And hey, look what he says here in verse, in verse 6. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, uncircumcision has any value... Paul doesn't give an iota who gets circumcised or doesn't. Why is he so mad, therefore, about the Galatians getting circumcised? Why? Yeah, but, but, but it is true, but why is he mad with them for doing it? It's an outward sign of what? It is. Circumcision in Jewish thinking was the... Look, what am I wearing here? It's a badge. Do you know what this tells me? I sometimes forget my name. <laughs> and this badge tells me who I am. This badge tells you who I am. Who am I? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, can you see? This badge tells me, it defines me, it's my identity. I am, for better, for worse, Montaz. Okay? Circumcision had no value physically whatsoever but in a spiritual sense if you're now being circumcised because this is your entrance to what to judaism to moses then paul says you're condemned if you get circumcised for medical reason god bless you if you get circumcised because the country is too hot god bless you if you get circumcised because you're ministering to jews and you don't want to offend jews then god bless you but if you get circumcised because it's going to make you right with God, then you're condemned. Do you see the point? And that's why Paul is angry. And hence his point here. Mark my words, I tell you, if you get circumcised as your entrance badge to Judaism, which is exactly what they were doing, then Christ has been of no value to you whatsoever. You are a condemned man. Verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by law. That's why, that's why they were doing it. Because now they want to be justified, not by believing in Jesus any longer, because Peter's giving them the wrong signals, but they want to get right by doing the right things. After all, it seems rather kind of cheap, doesn't it? I mean, you can understand it, can't you? Paul is saying, oh, you've only got to believe. And someone comes along and says, hey, you've got to do this, this, and this. And naturally, we would tend to be drawn towards having to do something. It makes sense, doesn't it, that I should put myself through pain and hardship. I mean, surely salvation wouldn't be free. And yet it was. Here's what a commentator writes on, the, on this verse when he says, that by being trying to be justified below, they were falling away from grace. Listen to this. To fall from grace, as seen by this context, is to fall into legalism, into Moses, 
or to put it another way, to choose legalism is to, is to relinquish grace as the principle by which one desires to relate to God. In other words, you can't have a bit of Moses and a bit of faith. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but I want Moses as well. I want to keep the Ten Commandments, and I want to do this, and I do that. The Paul says, and the commentator rightly understands what Paul is saying. To have one, you lose the other. Verse 3 then. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obliged to obey the whole law. Moses comes as a package. You don't get just the beard. You get the gown and everything that comes with Moses. To, get Mo to have Moses means we come under every single aspect of Moses. Can you see what he's saying there? If we have him in one little bit, how much of Moses do we have to swallow? Everything. And so the point is, who could possibly keep every command of Moses? Only Jesus, you're right, Stephanie, and he does, and he does it for us. They can't. So freedom is to be is a gift that's to be held onto. The freedom of faith, verse seven. Look at this, and this is disappointment. You have to hear the tone as we read this. You were running a good race. Who caught in on you and kept you from obeying the truth of faith? What kind of persuasion does that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you, Jesus? Look, a little east works with a whole batch of dough. <coughs> he left them in faith in Jesus. There wasn't, a, there wasn't an ounce of Moses or the commandments in their faith. And now all of a sudden, as though someone has illegally cut in front of them and tripped them over, disqualifying them from the race, Paul is using Roman imagery here, the law is stealing their joy. They were doing so well. I think about faith, friends, and the journey of faith. I think we did this on Christianity Explored. We sometimes assume that we become a Christian at a moment in time. And so we would go to a Billy Graham crusade or a Billy Graham son crusade, and we put our hand up and sign our name, and then we leave believing we've become a Christian. That's absolutely absurd. No one becomes a Christian People rather become becoming a Christian. Can you see the difference? There may, there may be a starting point, absolutely, but it's not something I've done. I became one. And I hang my shoes up. And I'm going to live life like a first-class sinner because I'm a Christian now. No, no, the Christianity is something that triggers the beginning of a journey a race, Paul uses. You were running so well, okay? You don't win the 100-meter sprint by just getting off the blocks. You have to cross the line. You don't get to heaven by just putting your hand up at a crusade. You only get there if you cross the line in faith. I remember in my first church as a pastor in Kent, I think I got a picture of our very first Church? Oh, that's not a church. <laughs> Would you move forward to the picture of a church building? Oh, I'll tell you what, just leave it, just leave it. I'll come back to that one. Let me, let, let me give you, go back to the feet walking if you would. This is what happens when you get really, really old, okay? You begin to lose your memory. Let me tell you about another fella in my last church, not my first church, okay? <laughs> it gets confusing. This guy turned up one Sunday. And look, if we're always looking out for new visitors. If you're a visitor here, it's great to have you. We rejoice in that and we pray for you. It's our prayer that God would add to the church. Every time we see a new visitor, it's, it's joy. Uh, this fellow walked in. He sat just in front of me in the middle of my sermon or just before my sermon. And you should have seen his enthusiasm, his excitement. He was, he was just legible on his face. He began to come every week, get involved in everything we were doing. I'd have him round, do private studies with him, have him round for meals. He was so appreciative. And I could just see this guy just growing and growing and growing. And then one day, he wasn't there Sunday morning. So I thought he obviously wasn't well. 
and then he wasn't there the following one, or at the home group, or at the next session. In fact, he never returned to church again. To this day. What, three years on? When I, when I consider that situation from my own ministry, when I listen to Paul here, I can see something of, of his pain. And the point I want to get across to you, friends, is the Christian journey is something that has to be completed. For the Galatians, the law has cut in, in front of them illegally. For this fella, it was life. And I want to challenge you. It's really possible without wanting to over-dramatize this, that there may be somebody here that we'll never see again in church or any church. The Christian journey, friends, is something, however hard it is, must be completed. <coughs> must be completed. If it's not completed, it's not because we've lost our faith. It's because... We never had faith to begin with. There's such a thing as spurious faith. Remember how many Jesus, how many people do you think followed Jesus around the country? Well, think of when he fed the, the 5,000 men, which is about 20,000 people in all. That's at least 20,000 people following him. In the middle of that sermon, how many people leave him, stop following him? After following him for days. In the middle of that sermon, how many people leave him? Have a guess. So he starts with 20,000, and in the middle of his sermon, how many people leave him? Not most of them, close. Someone tell me. 20,000 minus 12. Seriously, at the end of chapter 6, the only people that are left are 12 people who he appoints as disciples. And Jesus says to him, are you going to leave too? And what does Peter, Peter say in response? I love Peter. What does he say in response? Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to go? You are the very apex and fulfillment of life. We will die with you, Jesus. You know when Peter says he would die with Jesus? It was true. He would have done. When he got caught out that night, we're going to look at it shortly. It was a momentary lapse of a man who really was on fire for Jesus. So Paul's point is for the Galatians, because of the law, they're losing their way. I want to challenge you, friends. Don't let anything keep you from pursuing Jesus. Because there's nothing in this game for having started well. The race has to be completed. So for us, friends... I want to say this, that whatever kind of week you've had, whatever you've failed, whatever battles with sin you've lost, however commandments you've broken, whatever meetings or Christianity Explore courses or whatever you've failed to turn up at, you are welcome here. More than that, you belong here. Because our faith, however much I badger you, and I will do this as long as I'm your minister, I'll badger you to come to everything we put on because you need to be there. But however much you fail, you're welcome back the very next meeting because you're here, not on the merits of how many meetings you've managed to attend, but you're here on the merits of, not how many commandments you've kept that week, but you're here on the merits of Jesus and his death for you. Listen to this, 1 John 1, 7. It's the blood of Jesus, God's Son, that purifies us from sin. The only way that the Jews could worship God was to have their sins purified, and their sins were purified. How? And it, it was never done properly. It was only done in a temporary way. How were their sins purified in a temporary way? Through the sacrificial system. That was the only way they could come to worship. Otherwise, they could not come to worship. You come to worship. I come to worship. Regardless of how poorly we live this week. Because in the temple, a sacrifice has occurred. Where was the temple? It was Golgotha. That was the temple. Okay? And the sacrifice was 
Jesus himself. And because of that, because of the blood of Jesus, you and I aren't purified at the moment of an action. When we take the lamb to the temple and stand there whilst he's been sacrificed, it was a momentary thing. It occurred in chronology. You and I are purified at what moment in time and for how long a time? Okay, that's a good point, Jim. Okay, so the, the, the event occurred 2,000 years ago, and as it were, the benefits of which were suspended in space and time, packaged away until faith. And at the moment of faith, everything Jesus did for you fell on you, whereby every single sin you'd ever committed to that juncture was fully cleansed, Every single sin you committed that moment was fully cleansed. And what other sins were fully cleansed? Future, how many? All. There is not a single sin that you can commit, and I say this with caution, there is not a single sin that you can commit that can keep you from the love of Jesus. Do you know that? What was Paul write in Romans 8? Neither height nor depth. No, the things present, no things past. There is not a single sin that can keep you from Jesus. So you belong here. Don't ever stay away from church on Sunday morning because you've had a bad night on the internet. Or because you've had a bad time with your mouth. Or because you've had a bad moment with another person. Or you've had a bad moment in your mind. One second, sorry. Or any other bad moment. You belong here if you're in faith in Jesus. Because the moment you believed, the weight, however is the cross. The weight, however is the cross. It's immovable. The weight of the cross was plumped on your life. And every single sin you've ever committed will ever commit was fully and absolutely washed, purified. So Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us regularly, weekly, daily draw near to God with sincere hearts in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You belong here. And you'll always belong here. You will never be outside because of your faith in Jesus. Don't let anything cut in on you. Whether it's sin, whether it's law, whether it's guilt, whether it's whatever it may be. Freedom is a gift that's to be held onto passionately. Were you going to say something? You're right. Absolutely. Jesus is inviting us to his temple. And where is that temple? Where is that temple? It's our hearts. And it's when we come together. Whenever we come together like this, we are plurally, collectively, the body of God, the house of God, the temple of God, the building of God. You are the church of Jesus Christ. And so you say, Stephanie, absolutely. We come and gather as a temple. There's a verse in the, in the Bible, John 14, yes. 1. That is my favorite verse. And every time I'm feeling down in myself, I go to that verse and he reads it to me and he knows that he gets absolute joy from it. Yeah. Let not your hearts be troubled. Exactly. Yeah, you believe in God, okay. believe also in me. Yeah, it's lovely. That is it. That, that are the words. God bless you. And you hold on to that. Verse, second point, second point. And secondly, here's, so having given us freedom, a longer leash as we possibly could want, for five chapters, four chapters now, Paul will now change tone. Okay, now listen and bear with me. Number two, freedom is a gift that's to be used <coughs> for good. 
Here's the balance to everything you've been hearing. You've been hearing a lot of grace, freedom, no law. But here's the balance, the corrective. Freedom you have, but freedom is a gift that's to be used for good. Look, if you did this, look, Porsche 911, one of my favorite cars. There it is. In, in one of the places I used to work, my boss used to own a really fancy car, but because he didn't want his employees to see how well the business was doing, he used to leave that at home and drive a, a, a terrible car to work. And on the once, he, he left his Jag up the street because he's the only car he had, and walked down to the, to the factory. And we all knew what he'd done. Uh, that's what I keep in my garage. That's why you, no one's allowed in there. <laughs> okay? Okay, so Porsche 911. Imagine if you said to your... 18-year-old daughter, newly qualified. Do you, can you qualify as an 18-year-old here to drive? 16. 16-year-old, newly qualified driver. Okay, here's my keys to the Porsche 911. Break a leg. Okay? A young lady there has had that experience. So look, so look what, that, what would they likely to do with all that horsepower? Absolutely, we wrapped around the tree in no time. Really, I mean, there's so much power in that thing, it's very hard to keep it going in a straight line. There's that much power, okay? It'd be absolutely crazy. Freedom abused can be lethal. In fact, it's not even a laughing matter. A young kid with a collar that could very easily kill themselves and somebody else. In Galatia, after all of Paul's emphasis on freedom, freedom from law, no more law, no more Moses, no more commandments, only faith. Paul now changes tone. Now listen to this, verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free. Absolutely. He's not changing his mind. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. We've been saying how free the Christian is from all law. Is the Christian therefore, and this is worth asking this question, is the Christian therefore free to rob a bank? Free to commit adultery? Free to, to name some sins? I mean, you're good at sins, Sarah. Well, can you name some sins? <laughs> yeah. Well, name one of Graham's sins. That'd be easy. <laughs> Yelling. Okay. Uh, look, doing the wrong thing. Coveting. Wanting somebody else's Porsche 911. Okay. To break the speed limit. You know, missing church when we could be here. Some people don't think that's a sin. It is a sin. Hebrews 10.25. Do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. If we can be and we're not here because we'd rather watch Formula One or watch the flowers grow, forgetting they take hours and hours to grow, <laughs> that is not a good thing for a Christian to be doing. Or football, thank you. Okay. Look, are we free? If, look, we said we're free. We're free from the law. Or are we free to commit adultery? <coughs> Rob banks, are we? We're not on this basis. I've already said, and it's true, should we rob a bank, you are not excluded from Jesus. But that's different to saying we're not therefore free to sin. Look at Paul's words in verse 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free from law. That's what that freedom means. You're called. There's no law. It's like giving your 16-year-old the keys to your car and saying you can do whatever you... There's no law regulating how you live, how you drive. Okay? We're free from law. Okay? But, what's Paul's point here? But, do not use your freedom to do what? And this is the important bit. What's Paul saying? Yes, you are free from law. Absolutely. But, but what? Yeah. Don't say this when we get there. But let's just go through this, the, the text here. Okay? The Greek word talks about the nature. Okay? What's he saying? What's he saying? You're free, but don't do what? Yes, there's that. But let's just stick with the text. Somebody give me the text. You're free, but don't indulge what? The text. The sinful nature. What is that? Yes, that's what we inherited from whom? Someone really special and wonderful, not, gave it to us. Who? Adam. 
That is the nature that Adam developed the moment he did the unthinkable. Okay, when he took from the tree, he corrupted his programming. The nature that he had that was brilliant, perfect, wonderful, was instantaneously corrupted. Okay, that nature became the sinful nature. It had a bias towards rebellion and sin. And every single descendant that he gave birth to, and they 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 gave birth to, which includes you and you and you and you, inherited the nature of Adam. And that's why from the very moment you were this little, your natural instinct was to do what? Wrong things. You never trained a child to be sinful. It was the most natural thing they do because they inherited his nature. And what Paul is saying is, as a free person, don't indulge that nature because if you indulge that nature, what is he saying about you as a person? This is complicated. Yes, you haven't. You haven't because that is the end answer. But just getting there is because it means you don't have a new nature. Yeah. Because if you're feeding that one, it means that's the one living in you. Listen to Paul when he talks to the Romans. He explains it better to them. Romans 6. Look, what shall we say then when it's a similar argument? Shall we go on sinning because you don't need Moses? You don't need law? In fact, there's no law in Christianity but one, and we'll come into it in a minute. He goes, what then? Shall we just go on sinning? Say yes. No. Good man. Don't ever listen to the preacher if he says pathetic stuff. Okay? Find yourself a new church. Okay. But what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? We, what, what does he say? We what? We what? We died to sin. That means the nature that your mate Adam gave you. What happened to that at the cross? Jesus put a stake in it. Do you get that? Jesus put a stake in it. Look, you died, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? For we know that our old self was... Read it with me, please. Crucified with Jesus so that the body of sin may be done, done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from the slavery of sin. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, conduct yourselves Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let what? Sin reign in your mortal body. Stop there a second. If sin is reigning, what does that look like? How many times am I committing armed robbery? Every Tuesday. Every Tuesday. It's habitual. Thank you. It's raining. Every Tuesday, I rob the Commonwealth Bank. Goodness sake, I've said that. That's gone on YouTube. That was pretend. (laughs) Seriously. It's pretend. It's David who does that. Okay. Right, okay. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace, which means if you were under Moses... Who was your master? Yeah, but but what does that say? No, it says more. Yeah, sin was your master. If you were under Moses, sin mastered you. That's why the Moses' law only made sinners better sinners. means worse sinners. But now that you're under grace, under faith, you're not under that master, which means you now have a new nature. It means your, just as Adam's nature was instantly deprogrammed to break down into evil, the moment you came to faith, your nature went through an instant reprogramming so that a new program is now running through your blood. And what does that new program do towards you and Jesus' expectations? Gives you, lines them up. It gives you similar desires. Hence, 8 verse 9, you, however, are not, are controlled, not by what? 
the sinful nature, but by the residency of what did you get when you believed? You got the Spirit in His fullness. The residency of the Spirit rechanges who we are, and therefore Paul can write, my brothers, you're called to be free. Do not indulge that old dying nature, because if you're indulging that old dying nature and not the one that's living through you now, it means you don't have a new nature. He's not the Lord of your life. It's not the Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit living in us. It's a different spirit altogether. Paul's point is this. Could you somebody give me some water, please? I've left it on the table. Paul's point is, is simply this, friends. And look at it. He puts it worse in verse 21. It's stronger in verse 21. I warn you, as I did before. This is after his list of sins, which is coming up next week. Look, if you don't want to hear about sins, don't come next week. Because there's going to be a lot of... <laughs> thanks. Hey, see? There's going to be a lot of talking about sin <coughs> next week. But at the end of that list... He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this, feeding their old nature, will not. You haven't heard it from me now. You heard it from Paul on behalf of Jesus. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. In my first church, I got it right this time. There it is. There's the building, at least. Uh, I remember, remember having my interviews for the pastor there. I was just in Bible college and gone to this church. And on one, uh, one of them, I was having a group interview by the church members at the meal. And in, within the church members, there's this one fella who was part of the group interview who I discovered was spending every weekend at his girlfriend's house in her bedroom. And he was a member of the church and helped elect their new pastor. So I raised this with the leadership team, and I says, what's going on here? And for whatever reason, it hadn't been dealt with, so I began to talk with the guy, see him regularly every week. We used to meet up, and I tried to explain the gospel to him, what gospel life looks like, and how regular, indulgent, unrepented, unremorseful sin means that we're living in the sinful nature, we're outside of faith and not in it. And we tried and tried and tried. And after several months, when it was quite clear that he would be sleeping with his girlfriend, come what may, I had to ask him to leave the membership of the church. Not because he'd had an accident one evening because he was stupid and shouldn't have been with his girlfriend that, that late at night by herself. Advice to youngsters here, okay, leave your girlfriend at her house at 10 o'clock and go home, Okay. To your own place. So I said to him, don't do, you know, okay. So it's not a case he was just doing a stupid thing one night. He was doing it every night, every weekend rather. And so on that basis, we had to ask him to leave the membership of the church. The point I'm trying to make is, friends, that look, I sin and you sin. I've sinned this morning already, no end of times, I'm sure, as, as we have all. But there's a difference between getting caught out by sin that's followed by repentance and remorse and tears and regret and a determination to change and structures put into place to help us change. There's a difference between that and then just doing something because, well, it's just a bit of sin. And Hey, I'm free in Jesus. I'm converted already. You know, it's not a big a deal. They're all doing it anyway. You know, everybody sleeps with their girlfriends. That's what everybody does. Even church people. So what's the big deal? And so, friends, the big deal is this. Listen to Paul in Romans 6.14. For sin shall not be your master. If my life looks like I'm still a first-class pagan, it's probably because I still am a first-class pagan. Listen to John. Uh, look, John's the loving. If you think this is hard, John's the real softy in the, in, the, in, the, in the disciples. He's the one who used to lay on Jesus' chest. He's the one who keeps <laughs> writing all about love. Have you read his letters? The stinking things are all about love, 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 love. So, so he's going to be the really nice guy that really tells you things in a nice way. Listen to this. 
1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, no, 1 John 5, rather, if we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Let me challenge you, Christian, as I challenge myself. If I care nothing about how my life has looked this week, if I've come here to this morning, to this church, with absolute disregard for how I've lived my life this week, I may not even be a Christian. I may not even be a Christian. Because someone who's been truly born again <coughs> does not continue habitually without repentance, without remorse, without care to sin. When a believer comes to faith, something changes. It doesn't always happen immediately. How long did it take David before he realized what a terrible thing he'd done? He took, what did it take? Took the word of God through Samuel the prophet. So make sure you get here next Sunday because we're going to hear the word of God. You see, the reason people stay away from church, this might not be the only reason, is because the word can't get me, you see. Because if I turn up there, the preacher may say something that would challenge what I did last night. So if I stay away, I won't hear that. Christian, come. Lay yourself be challenged. Do you know, I think it's the most wonderful thing, heart-moving thing, when a Christian feels the weight of their sin. When a Christian weeps because of their failure. When a Christian is tormented and can't sleep because of something they've said or done. Because that is the mark of authentic conversion. Sin just doesn't sit easy with us. We do fall prey to it. And sometimes we can fall prey to a, a particular sin on more than one occasion. But as he, with each falling, there needs to be as a demonstration of our faith, heartfelt repentance. And there's more to repentance. Look, repentance is like being in the army. If I'm marching this way, quick march, quick march, and when I get to the end, uh, the commanding officer will shout, about turn! And I turn like this, and I walk back. That's repentance. So if I'm being regularly caught in a sin, what would repentance in that sin look like? Yes, and if I'm struggling to do the about turn, about turn, <coughs> what must I do? Because it's not enough to keep saying, well, that's one of my weaknesses. And every Friday night, I'm doing this particular thing. And I'm doing an about turn. It makes my about turns unsincere. What does it mean I have to then do? There's that, but it's not enough. There's something else. What do I, if I keep getting caught out in this particular thing, okay, I'm now in danger of not being a Christian. Remember, we don't continue in sin. If I keep getting caught out, I've got to do something. Okay, to apprehend this, what must I do? Yeah, but that's not okay. Give me some practical reality. That doesn't help anybody. Good point. But look, that doesn't help me. My, what's that? Pray helps. There's not enough. If that helps, there's not enough. That's not enough. And that's not enough. It's not that easy. Somebody give me, the change isn't easy. Somebody give me something that's really going to help me. This is not helping me. That's, Accountability. Praise, okay, but who cares about prayer? Help from Christians, accountability. Okay. And it's not enough. It's time I put, it's time I put some structures into place to enable me to do a real about turn and stay the course. Okay, I'll give you an obvious one. If I struggle with bank robbery, Okay, here's, a, here's how it leads. Every Monday night, Sunday night, I'm in the pub with my mates and we talk about what bank we're going to rob next. Okay, on Monday we plan it, on Tuesday we carry it out. Okay, I can't help myself. So this is what I now do. I put structures into place. I get Jack to take me out on Sunday down to his house to play bingo. Not bingo, that's bad. Uh, play, uh, uh, play cards. Okay, okay, number one. I get Tony to phone me up Monday at 10 a.m. and to make sure I'm not planning the bank robbery. I'm talking on the phone instead. And on, when, on Tuesday, the bank robbery time, I get Peter to come around my house 
and sit with me and look me in the face for two hours whilst the bank robbery is going on. Do you see the point I'm making? Christian, it's not enough to pray. It's not enough to say no. Because I know, look, I'm not stupid. I'm a sinner. And I know it's not enough for me to pray. It's not enough for me to have an ambition. It's not enough for me to have targets. I know I'll do it again. And there's only one way to stop me sinning is that I have to make it impossible to commit that sin. I'll give you some more tips. If you still struggle with pornography, get a pornography identifier on your computer that will stop you doing it because your best friend or your minister who's linked to it will watch what you're watching. That's how you stop it, you see. If you're struggling with gossiping, okay, tell your friend, tell someone you meet up with, look, I just can't help running down somebody down. So next time when I'm in church and you watch me talking to somebody, come up and just ask me what's going on to make sure I'm not gossiping. If you're struggling with lying, get somebody as a who you can be accountable to and share with who watch you and you meet with them every two weeks. And the first question they ask you is, how many lies have you told this week? Do you see what I'm saying, friends? It's not enough to have ambitions. You'll fail. It's not enough to pray. You'll fail. It's not enough to have good desires. You'll fail. You have to put actual, concrete, physical processes in place to stop yourself from doing it and stop relying on God's grace. Because if we continue in sin, we may prove that we're outside of grace structures to stop sin. I've got to finish. My time is up. So let me just finish. I won't do the last part except to say this. Verse 13. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep biting, devouring each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. Here's the whole thing. Moses is gone. The Ten Commandments are gone. The 613 laws are gone. We have in place a single principle from Jesus which governs our entire lives now. And it's that one principle to love each other. And so long as that one principle is in place, we will never break a single expectation of God. Well, it's brilliant. You see, by loving our neighbor as ourselves, we love God ultimately. We cannot love God without loving one another. And we can't love one another if we're abusing and beating up one another. And so let's love one another. In doing that, we're loving Jesus. And in doing that, everything that the Old Testament looked forward to is fulfilled and completed. God bless you.